Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to another Friday episode of Blah. Blah. It's going to be me, Rusty, with uh, Mason. Mason. What's up, Mason? So what do we got today, Mason? Uh, uh, you're the fill-in for Mike today. Uh, so uh, so, what do we, so what do we got, man? What, what's on the agenda for today? Talking about Cotton Hill. Oh, Cotton Hill, man. What All was right. it? What was? No, I got. I'm gonna give him some some respect. He was a uh, damn. What was his rank? Oh, uh, he was cr- uh, uh, for his Colonel Colonel name, Cotton Hill. Yeah. For his full name, it would be Colonel Cotton Lindell Hill. Yeah. Uh, born Which is September first, nineteen twenty-seven. Died November eleventh, two thousand and seven. His dad hated him. Who the hell names uh, their kid Cotton? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure. And then Lindell being the middle name, I'm not. I'm not sure. That is. Uh, I could look that off where that came from. I but imagine, I just, it's I funnier if I it's don't. It's a nickname, but we don't. We don't get the. We don't get the actual nit- nickname. So mm-hmm. it's then just Cotton. Yeah. So um, he early life and military history. He was born around 1927, making about 70 in the first season of the show. So he's in his 70s with a 30 year old wife. That's cool. Um, in season four, episode Cotton comes watching home, which we'll be t- covering soon. He states himself to be 71. Little is known about his childhood other than that he started out with a gun at an early age, according to Hank in the episode How to Fire a Rifle, without really trying. Um, that he attended Fort Burke when he was very young. We do know that in a good yeah, episode. Yeah, which, uh, which Fort Burke, for those of you who don't know, is the episode where Bobby is... Uh, kind of sent for like a military camp kind of thing, and uh, he goes to this hole or whatever inside of this military camp, and uh, inside of there there was Cotton's name with like five days etched into the wall. And no, it was Bobby, two days. It was Bobby two days. Sorry, but the whole so day. So Bobby stayed in the hole for three days, and all he did was hibernate like a bear and slept the whole time. Yeah, that was a great episode. That's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, I can't wait for you guys to get to that one. Yeah, I can't. And then, yeah, that's uh, a really good one. Apparently, Cotton's mother died giving birth to him, uh, as as he exaggerates in Death Picks Cotton, which is the episode where he dies. No, no one knows anything about Cotton's father except he may have been German. As Peggy tells Bobby in the episode Tears of an Inflatable Clown. 
And the only time Cotton uh, even himself refers to his father during the entire series is when he shouts at Hank, you ain't my daddy, I'm your daddy. So it's not That's even funny. really a... Yo, my daddy. I'm he also your daddy. has an unnamed brother who is Dusty's father. Dusty's father, Dusty Hill. So uh, again, for those of you who are watching along with us, we haven't got that far yet. But uh, eventually, we meet some of Hank's family members, and his family is Dusty Hill and of the uh, of the uh, damn what's her name ZZ Top fame. Sorry. Yeah. So it's Dusty Hill from ZZ Top ends up being one of Hank's cousins. Uh, he, we know, um, based, and this is based on Wikipedia, based on his uniform and when he goes to Japan, he has the Medal of Honor, a Purple Heart, and the American Campaign Medal. I don't know what you did to earn those medals, but I know uh, you did, you saved people again. and you killed okay, people. Okay, so the Congressional Medal of Honor mm -hmm. is, uh, uh, something courageous above all else. Uh, the American Campaign Medal was given to, uh, it was created by... Uh, President FDR, and it was intended to recognize those who had performed military service in, uh, I imagine it was probably for, yeah, for World War II. So mm -hmm. it's just a service medal saying, I was in this campaign. So every campaign has a medal. So if you say, hey, I was in Iraq, and people are looking at your, uh, uh, looking at y'all, your, 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 your medals and your, uh, your uh, ribbons and stuff on your, on your uniform, mm -hmm. It'll, it'll, they have campaigns for each one. So if you say, well, I was in Vietnam and they're looking at your, which they call your stars and bars. So if they're looking at all your stuff and they look down and they say, well, I don't see the Vietnam ribbon. They know that you're a liar and weren't in Vietnam. So they could tell by your, your insignias and your ribbons, what your rank was, you know, where you served. If you actually served in any of those combat zones, you'd have a medal from it. So, uh, that's what that is. So then again, we go through cotton's stuff. So a purple heart means that he was hurt in the line of duty, which he so did. He lost, he his, lost shins. his shins. Um, so. he also has a silver, star which he keeps in the vfw yep and which then he also star is uh is the medal of honor is like the ultimate sacrifice in the line of combat and you do something that's just like above and way beyond what is the call of duty well the dude silver i know star i played is, medal of honor when yeah, i was a yeah, kid yeah so the silver <laughs> star is a uh a high accommodation for somebody who's in a combat zone or whatever but it is like a step below them. It's like tiered, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you're still kick-ass, but not as kick-ass as what a Medal of Honor recipient is, you yeah. know? And then he has a third-class Legion of Honor, uh, uh, apparently the highest award given by the French government, who gave it to a select handful of American troops for the service in World War II. So he was in Europe at some point. Yes, yes, he was definitely um, in the European European theater at some point. Yeah, he... Uh, on Wikipedia, uh, they um, they say he has a con he has a tendency to exaggerate his service in the war. For example, in the, in episode Cotton's plot, which we'll get to soon, he states he killed Nazis in Munich on April thirtieth and Japanese in May on May second in Okinawa, which is maybe it's possible. No, it wasn't. I doubt. Was, I doubt it. Was, it was highly impossible to be in Munich in World War Two. It was highly highly possible highly impossible. Uh, to be in Europe and in then Europe also in and, Japan. And in Japan within a week's time of each yeah. other. But it also says here that uh, in a six-season episode that he was uh, attached to the 77th Infantry Division, which served in World War One and World War Two, and they're headquartered out of uh, Fort Dix, New Jersey. And... Uh, it was it was the seventy seventh regional readiness command was disestablished in two thousand and eight. Oh. So uh, the division is now called the Statue of Liberty Division, 
And uh, from what I read here, is they're based in, uh, uh, where does it say here? Uh, right there in New Jersey still. So they're, apparently they're still in New Jersey. So that's pretty cool. There you go, some recent military information. Uh, and then uh, there was a number of war trophies that you could see in various episodes too. So he had uh, a Prussian pickle hobe, which uh, a Prussian pickle, a pickle hobe is... Uh, the spiked pith helmet that you see from the Prussian and German armies in World War One, how they would have the helmet with the the spike. I don't know if you you're yeah, cognizant yeah. of any of that Prussian stuff, but that was a, a Prussian war cap. And then another uh, one of his uh, well, because that Prussian ha- helmet is what he used to cut Hank's hair. He used the spike on the deal to do Hank's bowl cut. I don't know if you remember that or not. Uh, it was in a few episodes where you could see it. Right, and I do then that. Uh, he had Hitler's canoe. So, uh, in that particular Well, he claims it's Hitler's two, canoe. There's no way it actually is his canoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Because, yeah. like you said, he exaggerated his war stories. And then Artie here says, too, uh, Peggy called him out on it mm-hmm. and uh, even told the VFW board, uh, giving out cemetery plots, whenever they were trying to do all his war stuff and see mm-hmm. what was actually true. And uh, one of the things that he commonly does, too, is uh, he exaggerates his war service, but he also... Uh, uh, he also expresses his dislike a lot for veterans of the Vietnam War. Yeah, I remember that episode. Yeah. That was that was a rough one. Well, because because uh, uh, they that was the I guess the one the war that America's lost at that time. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well, not only was it the war that America lost at the time, but the sentiment around the wars was completely different because mm-hmm. World War II was a necessary war, whereas Vietnam wasn't really necessary to send Americans to go die for that. Yeah. So there was a lot more contention about the Vietnam War, and there was a lot more acknowledgement of the PTSD and stuff. Mm-hmm. I know, uh, I, fortunately for uh, for me, I was old enough to have met a fair amount of World War II vets mm-hmm. uh, in my youth and to be able to like talk to them and get their perspective of the war at that time in America mm-hmm. also their perspective of what it was like to participate in that war yeah. and uh, were soldiers more celebrated because I know when Viet- after Vietnam there was a, there was a very, lot of celebration very mixed back some people were happy they were back most people were not in there was Viet- more World of War a, II, was there more I feel like there was more celebration there was more celebration but the world they were coming back to was much different than the world that they were coming back to after yeah. the war in Vietnam you got to think the war after they were coming back it was a huge period in time and success not only for white families but it was a success for black families as well because it was the first time in a lot of black people's World lives War II, right? World War II, or, yeah. and one as well both yeah. wars have a, a period and for of women this, too and for women as well so both wars have this period of uh where uh where black communities minority communities now had money to be able to go buy homes mm-hmm. and it's where you get the great white flight after war two where you have the creation of the suburbs and stuff like that mm-hmm. because uh now black families in inner cities could afford homes in white communities and white people were like oh well, we don't want this so of course they move further out kind of thing so mm-hmm. yeah so we're we're in a different sentiment so yeah the 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 sentiment around vietnam it was especially even for world war ii vets uh it's like in world war ii they went for the duration like I have a cousin who came home. He was gone for four years, uh, like a really old cousin, like one of my dad's cousins, not yeah. mine. So when he was in World War II, he was there for the whole war. Basically, he was once in Europe America got for involved. four years. Jesus, he was there from the storming of Normandy till they walked all the way to Berlin, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he was there for that entire uh, campaign. And uh, he didn't get to go home. There wasn't no, you know, go home, you know, for for leave or any mm-hmm. of that. The most he got for leave was to 
come away from the combat zone for a day or two and then right back to the front, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a lot of, uh, I guess, tension between the War II vets and the Vietnam vets because Vietnam vets, they had the luxury of coming home. Mm. After a year of being in combat, they could come home for leave before they had to go back, whereas they were there in war for four solid years. Yeah. And PTSD wasn't as recognized when they came back either as it is now. Uh, it wasn't even that well recognized in the 60s either, though. No, not, or not, 70s. not as... It was it was more clinically defined after Vietnam, like in World War One and World War Two. It was just shell shock. Oh, yeah. At first, it was shell shock. Uh, then it was uh, combat fatigue, and then it was PTSD. Yeah. So it took a while for them to come up with like clinical response to it. So there was no clinical response for War One vets at all. War yeah. Two vets, there was very limited, you know, clinical response to it, and then. There was a wider clinical response, not that it was effective or anything, as, as we could see. There is yeah. there is limited effect in anything to do with mental health in the United mm-hmm. States. So I mean, seeing someone kind of get their bl- brains blown out, you can't really ever just get rid of that image. You can't, you know, and, and that's what it's all about is is mitigating the, the mental health risks and stuff like that those mm-hmm. people have to deal with. And, uh, you know, of course, we don't do a very good job at that. So let's mm-hmm. go. Let's continue on with yeah, let's uh, go on a lighter, cotton Let's here. go on a lighter topic. Yeah, uh, let's continue with cotton here. So it, it goes through uh, uh, his alleged military history. Yeah, his alleged military history. So I'll, I'll quickly just run through this real fast and then we can get to his relationships and his personality and all that. So. Uh, so apparently, so 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 Cotton says these are the his, his alleged uh, rundown of his combat history. So he was apparently on the Solomon Islands. He was ordered to retake an airfield, but they were pinned down by Japanese gunfire. And this is where uh, he gets his uh, "I killed fifty men" thing from. So he apparently sneaked into a fifty-five gallon barrel of sake held his breath until the Japanese got drunk. He jumps out, spits it all into a Zippo lighter, hibachis the whole squad. Uh, Then apparently he was at Guadalcanal. Uh, In the episode Yankee Hanky, he references that he and Stinky were on Guadalcanal and it rained for 17 days. That one I can believe. I can believe that one. And then uh, he says he was at Anzio, uh, where they had caught the krauts with their pants down and their snitchel exposed. And uh, they had taken the beach by noon and taken the town by nightfall. Uh, the next one would have been him in Normandy with a 50 pound ice cream maker on his back. Uh, the next one would have been Saipan where he led a platoon of men through the jungles of Saipan. The next one would have been Guam where he called, crawled through a Minecraft, Minecraft. What the hell? He called through a mine. <laughs> I was going to say a Minecraft minefield. I don't know why that, I was going to say that at all. Okay. He crawled through a minefield to retrieve general MacArthur's corn cob pipe. Uh, said that he was in the Philippines, uh, said that he was in Iwo Jima, spent two weeks under a pile of bodies. And then there was another one where he said he and Topsy uh, used a bayonet a bayonet technique to, to get a kamikaze. The next one says that he was in Munich. But this is the one that's contested heavily is because he couldn't be in the Pacific Theater and in the uh, Atlantic Theater at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one was a POW camp at an unknown place and unknown time in Japan. Uh, they put him in a bamboo rat cage where he had to eat rats and uh, he had to let the last one live so he could eat its droppings. He called it jungle rice and it tasted fine apparently. And yeah. they said that eventually he was so skinny that he could slip through the bars and strangle the guard with a string made of rat tails and ran to safety. So he became skinny enough to slip through the bars yeah 
forms a tail, uh, a rope out of a rat tails and chokes the guy and then leaves. Uh, he also learned how to stop his heartbeat so they would stop torturing him for a moment. And they claimed that he only cried when the Japanese tore off his fingernails. You know, I don't like cotton, but when, when you read that, you know, it kind of makes sense how he turned out the way he well, did. It makes sense because there's a sense. lot that come from that baby boomer generation mm -hmm. or, or uh, the greatest generation. Sorry, not the baby boomer generation, but the people from his generation. Uh, a lot of them were cynical asshole people because they went through four years of war. Some of them were in combat zones for four years of their, their, their young life. Imagine being 17 or 16. Cause a lot of these guys, it was voluntary world war two. A lot of it was, they didn't, you know, it was a lot of it was people went to go stop the scourge of communism yeah. and fascism. They signed up for it because yeah, it was a reality. Cause if you didn't sign up for it, eventually it would have got to a point where the war would be in the United States. And up to this mm -hmm. point, the only war on United States soil since the revolution uh, and the war of 1812 and all the little tiny wars at the beginning was the civil war. That was the biggest loss of life in American history up to this point. So plus Pearl Harbor, Pearl you know, Harbor really and all that. Fire up everyone's yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, well, this is, you know, it, it, even before Pearl Harbor, the sentiment was don't get involved. Nobody wanted to be involved in it. We could have been involved in World War II way sooner. It probably would have changed the, the whole trajectory of the war. But we weren't in a mm -hmm. war position. We were making refrigerators. We were making new cars. We were making radios. We were worried about the progress that was happening at the time. And uh, World War II kind of helped like push that progress with a lot of the invention of the technology and stuff that came out of World War II. And that's why you had like this period of huge economic success between the 50s and 70s for all walks of life of American life. Yeah, there were still uh, a lot of roadblocks in the way for minorities and stuff like that, but this was an unprecedented time even for minorities in economic growth. It changed the playing field. It created a, a, middle, a, a, a middle class for the minority, whereas before, your only middle class mostly at this time was all white middle class. Yeah. So I think that was one of the plus sides to this economic development, and then it ended in the 60s, and the late 60s, early 70s with urban renewal projects so you know this area he, he air quoted that just, just so everybody knows because we live in a place where a lot of that history has been tried to be whitewashed of this uh economic growth after world war ii and then how it stunted the minorities as soon as they started this urban renewal stuff mm -hmm. you know so But yeah, back to back to Cotton Hill. So we've we've kind of that was kind of his military rundown or whatever. So now with his relationships, uh, I'm not gonna go too much detail yeah. with it because there's a lot of detail that we could talk about. I but think I'm gonna talk about his first love and the reason I think his why only I love, think, honestly, yeah, his only love and the reason why I think he resents Tilly and Hank so much, honestly. It's because he was forced to go back to the states and <laughs> well, leave Michiko. Well, not necessarily that he was forced. So well, they didn't he make has ice an affair in Japan while he's while he's in in, in the, the the Pacific Theater after his with, shins are blown off. With after his shins are blown off with a Japanese nurse who nurses him to health called Michiko, mm -hmm. and uh, he then has a son also with this woman named Junichiro. Man, and, no, no uh, idea about. He tried to stay as much as he could. But then he ended up having to leave, and then he didn't even know anything about the kid or anything mm -hmm. like that. So even though, uh, the dude, clip it, even shows he, him getting clubbed. Yeah. Now, the flashback of him uh, trying to stay in Japan actually shows him being clubbed and dragged onto a boat. <laughs> yeah, to, I don't know why that's to always funny to me. Yeah, I think it's funny, too. But also, I think it's always kind of funny, and she has a point in that episode. 
there really was nothing stopping him from just going back. Well, I mean, I, I don't I, know I, what I Japan's really know like border was, border was like after World War Two. I yeah. know it wasn't great, but well, I don't know if he was in. I, I, I can't remember if he was married to Tilly or not at this he point. He was not. He, no way he could have been. Yeah, and if he was married to Tilly at this point, I can't remember that part. So no, because Hank's not born until the... Hank's well, not born, well, Hank's the, not born um, but I don't know if they're in a relationship 60s. or not before. Because they might have already been in a relationship before Hank comes along. And Hank's like... Uh, I think he's like mid to late fifties. I thought was his 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 birthday. I don't know. I don't know exactly. That's the one thing they never actually went gone into detail. Yeah. as far as I could tell, how he actually got involved with Tilly. Yeah, so we do find out Hank has three kids. Uh, throughout the whole show, he has his, the oldest being uh the half Japanese son Junichiro. Mm-hmm. Then you have Hank, and then you have good Hank G H. I've always uh, thought which that he has with Dee Dee, which was, was also a uh, a nurse that he 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 met. Uh, he has a thing for nurses. Uh, he has a thing for nurses. I always imagined that Tilly was just a maybe. This is not trying to anything against Tilly. This might, I feel like it was feel like Hank was a result of a one night stand. They just never told him. I don't even think it was a one night stand. I think the the thing between him and Tilly was was he come back from the war. Uh, if they were together already, uh, I feel like if they were, like I can't remember, so I'm going to talk about the hypothetical of both. So if they weren't already together, I feel like when he came back from the war, uh, he's a, he no longer has shins. He, he, he pulled from what, it, like he settled for the first woman that would show him any attention. Cause yeah. I, man, uh, even though he was a handsome man, he was a man with no shins. Yeah. So he was a man that was physically limited by his disability. Mm-hmm. And at this time in America, uh, physical limitations uh, is not something that was women were just they wanted a man who was able to take care of them because women at this time there was not a lot of uh, there wasn't a huge working class this is the beginning of the working women's class after World War Two so at this time there's not a big working class for women so I feel like she wants the traditional life he wants a traditional life uh, he attaches himself to a woman who will give him a traditional life and eventually he comes to resent this woman and eventually he comes to resent the child that he has with this woman mm-hmm. because all he can think about his whole life at this point was Michiko 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 yeah. so that's that's I think that's a part of it and this. also just bitterness just having yeah. lost his sh- I think I don't think you ever I mean I don't know if it's bitterness I, I mean you'd be pretty pretty better losing your shins in a war and like he probably wanted more than he ever actually had yeah and then not only the bitterness with losing your shins there's a lot of pains and stuff that come with that physical and mental pains that come with that but also the physical and mental pain of not knowing whether the woman that you loved uh not knowing anything about or what that could have been mm-hmm. as an old man he's he's just sitting there and he's thinking like you know Damn, like I never got to be with the love of my life. Nobody ever amounted to that love, and uh, he never was able to replace it, no matter how he tried. Because he doesn't love Dee Dee. I, mean, I, I think, think he, he loves. He Dee Dee. cares for Dee. I think he, he cares for. I think he cared for Tilly. I just think that a lot of the the issues that Cotton has again goes back to his service, and it goes back to him truly loving the Japanese nurse, nurse Machiko, and never getting to express that love or. Uh, to grow it or see where it would go, fertilize it and see where that love would go. So uh, after the war, it says here that he becomes an asbestos installer. Oh, yeah, he does. He, he mentions that in the yeah. episode when he uh, so a blue collar guy, to, just a yeah. blue collar worker mm-hmm. uh, installs asbestos and apparently a living bowl in alleys in every public school in Highland County. And uh, what do uh, you th- eventually he does? Uh, 
go back to uh, – eventually he does get to go back to Japan and reconcile the love, learn mm. about his son. And uh, Why do you think he – sorry, I keep cutting you off. So. No, you're good. Go ahead. Why do you think he doesn't like Peggy? Why doesn't he like Peggy? Because – Is it just because he took Hank away from him? No, I think he doesn't like Peggy because Peggy doesn't really uh, – she's not a submissive woman. In his mind, a woman is supposed to be submissive. And Tilly was and when like, they were married. Like yeah. Tilly was when they were married or whatever. And Dee Dee is. Or Dee Dee is uh, submissive to a point of ignorance. Uh, Dee Dee is. But I think that's that's what a lot, a lot of it is. Is uh, Yeah, he just – She'll tell him how much she doesn't like him. Yeah, he just uh, – Peggy is – vocal in the household uh she speaks when not spoken to you mm-hmm. know what i mean and I, I feel like that's part of his misogynistic character's bit mm-hmm. yeah peggy does suck that's what, that's <laughs> what that's what jordan said because uh jordan's the one that gave us the the plus she's, she's she said uh because peggy sucks yeah peggy, peggy <laughs> thank sucks. you jordan i don't know if jordan can hear me <clears throat> yeah 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 they sh- she should be able to hear you but um, uh yeah so yeah peggy does suck that's why he doesn't like her but you know, if Peggy didn't suck, I feel like one of the reasons why he wouldn't like her is because she is a uh, a self-serving, independent woman. Yeah. He, uh, the good news is, the one benefit, he does love Bobby. I don't know what it is about Bobby that he loves. That's not, That sounds horrible. It's his grandson. I love Bobby. It's his grandson. Uh, well, no matter how much, uh, as... as uh, as somebody who kind of has seen the dynamic between a grandfather and a grandson and remembering how my dad was with me, uh, it's it, it it's different. Like, my dad gave me hell for the stuff that my son could just <laughs> run away with, you know? So I feel like, like I that, You know that Gordon Ramsay meme? You know your mistakes. You get, well, as, as a grandparent, you've already made all the mistakes as a parent. Mm-hmm. You already have had the chance to reflect on all the mistakes you've made. Mm-hmm. You already had a chance to look where you made mistakes. Mm-hmm. So when your grandkid comes along... You're able to adjust for the course, uh, you know, yeah. and, and correct all that stuff with the grandkid and do it differently. I always thought it was just because it's a kid you don't actually have to take care of. You can yeah. just actually have all the fun moments with. It reminds me of that Gordon Ramsay meme. You know that one where um, uh, kids, w- um, parents with their kid, you fucking donkey. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. Kid, Grandparents with grandkids. Oh, you sweet precious thing, come here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that is nice that he does love Bobby though. And um, yeah, I, I, I guess there's not really much yeah. else to say about that. No, no, there's not. So uh, it's always funny how all of Hank's friends always refer to him as Colonel. Like they look, they know, they can see how much of a dick he is. Well, all of them have been around him since they were kids. Yeah. So they've all, you know, they've all been to camps and everything like that like with him. And reverence. They just know how he is. It's a reverence, and what it does is it shows a blanketed reverence that a lot of uh, people have with our military a lot of people have a blanket reverence like you can't even utter a uh a a word in judgment of any military branch in some in some southern communities even though that's not the case not everybody that serves in the military is a good and honorable person not everybody that goes into the army and fights in combat zones does the right thing uh i know a lot of combat veterans and i know a lot of people that uh have been in the military currently or past service, and they'll tell you the same thing. Just because somebody serves in the military is not a reason to tip your hat at them and say thank you for your service because the guy that you thank him for his service, he could go home and beat his wife wife every night and molest his children. Or he could have uh, I'm not saying that's the case, but they said that it's ignorant. And this is coming from veterans. This is not me. This is direct quotes from friends that I have that have served. So this is not my opinion. This is their opinion. 
and uh, what they have said to me and relayed to me that uh, they think it's ignorant of people to give a blanketed respect for the for the, the for military because the guy that you see at the at the mall that you say thanks for your service might not even be a combat vet he might just be some dude who's wearing a hat that has army on it yeah or something like that you know so you don't even know if you're saying thank you to a guy who's stolen valor who's getting a free meal at somewhere that he doesn't even deserve mm-hmm. and then uh, I have a friend who actively avoids anything paraphernalia wise that says the military on it and he served for over a decade but he makes active like an active effort to not have people recognize that he was in in the service because he doesn't he doesn't like that he says nobody thanks the guy at subway who's making the sandwich nobody mm-hmm. thanks the guy who's at the car wash that's you know scrubbing your car down he said it's a job that he chose to go do mm-hmm. just like anybody chooses to go do a yeah, job this ain't this this wasn't the vietnam war where you were drafted you had to go yeah yeah he says that that in, in an all-volunteer army he said that a lot of the people that volunteer are volunteering for money uh per- personal reasons mm-hmm. not for the act of joining to be you know an honorable thing you know just joining to join because they don't mm-hmm. have anything better going in their life yeah. <laughs> I, I will say one thing: if you did, if you did serve in the military and you did like have to go overseas to do stuff, do I d- still thank you? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Like I yeah. said, that was or my even opinion. just still that join the, the military. Like thank you, but like also, like, I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna like brown nose you just because you served. Yeah, 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 no, I do, I do recognize everybody that yeah. serves in any capacity, whether it yeah, be, I, I know you whether were, it be a do. teacher, an EMS worker, a paramedic, like anybody Fire that serves yeah. the public in any way, military, otherwise, I respect all of all of those people, <laughs> and anybody that serves the public, whether it be your Starbucks barista, whether it be your McDonald's window worker, I respect everybody equally because we are all have our own struggles in life, and we are all working to the same goal, and that is to feed <laughs> ourselves and survive. Especially when they're doing a job like the Starbucks people especially when they're doing a job I would not want to do in a thousand years I wouldn't because that job fucking years. sucks and I love coffee so yeah. yeah definitely hats off to all the Starbucks uh, employees of the world as well as or anyone who works at McDonald's like you worker. said because McDonald's yeah. say what you want it's all that, there's a reason that line is always packed as controversial as that might sound we do appreciate everybody's service no matter what but like I said uh yeah, Cotton but, Hill, crazy guy. So yeah. to wrap it all up, I guess we'll discuss his death a little bit. So uh, Fox actually published an obituary uh, around Cotton's death. So I'm going to read his obituary, and I think the obituary sums up the episode of The Man very well here. So uh, <clears throat> Cotton Hill, aged 84, World War II veteran, died Sunday in a Texas VA hospital. Hill suffered from several injuries ranging from four rusty bullets lodged in his back and one in his heart from his military service, a broken hip and torn ligaments in his knee ankle knees to an infection in his esophagus and severe burns caused by a freak shrimp accident that occurred earlier this week at Tokiaki's Japanese restaurant. (laughs) Hill leaves behind sons, Hank Hill and GH daughter-in-law, Peggy Hill, Grandson Bobby Hill, ex-wife Tilly, second wife Dee Dee, first love and former Japanese lover Michiko, and illegitimate Japanese son Junichiro, and nephew Dusty Hill of band ZZ Top. So there you go. So uh, in season 13. uh, 12, season 12. 
is it season 12? Season 12, yeah. In season 12, no, no, uh, season 12 is where he dies, but in season 13, there's a particular episode where Hanks receives from Dee Dee a box of uh, Cotton's personal possessions and a list of his embarrassing last requests. Oh, yeah. Yep. Cotton also leaves Hank a rude message on a tape recorder telling Hank that he wanted all the embarrassing requests to be completed by him. Peggy did not want Hank to fulfill all of Cotton's wishes, but Hank said that fulfilling his last request was one of the best gifts he had ever received from his father. <laughs> so Hank completed every one of the requests, which... Uh, I do remember that episode, yeah. Hank felt like this was his last way of just humiliating humiliating one last time kind of thing so uh the last request cotton had was to have his cremated remains flushed down a bar toilet that general Patton once used such practice was also a tradition with other people in cotton's platoon and all of his deceased war buddies were also flushed down the same toilet hank and his friends respectively honored the request flushed his remains down the toilet resulting in the toilet being plugged and the bar owner demanding Hank pay for the damage. So uh, the result of this was Peggy claimed at the end of the episode that even though Cotton is dead, he will always find a way to disrupt their lives. So if that says anything about Cotton, uh, there you go. So that's it. What do you think about it? It was crazy. It was just a crazy uh, concept of just killing Cotton off in the first place, especially in your 12th season. Well, it's crazier mm. than uh, some requests uh, people get. Some people like to be uh, their ashes to be sprinkled on a mm. weed blunt and smoked. So, yeah. you know, there's I feel like anybody that chooses to have their ashes, you know, whatever they choose to have done with them, uh, I think you should you should fulfill that one last request, even yeah. if it is as ridiculous as flushing it down a toilet. Cotton so. was Cotton Hill is a Cotton complex Hill. guy, complex character. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's really the best way to sum uh, very complex finish closes out. It's just mm. uh, he's the devil and an angel. Yeah, yeah, he's the devil and an angel. You got your shins back, <laughs> is what Hank said when he died. Apparently, but uh, if he went to heaven, if he went to heaven, <laughs> if there is a heaven, yeah, <laughs> there you go. So uh, we appreciate you guys hanging out with me and Mason for a Friday episode. Uh, again, be on the lookout for animation conversation. That's going to be a great one. We're going to try to involve everybody in the studio in that one and get get a lot of. Uh, Got a lot of, uh, you know, cross-fertilization going with that. It's going to be a great podcast. Also, if you want to go check out anything else at Rogue Mates, you can go to roguemedianetwork.com. They plenty of shows to check out. One of the the best, uh, you know, uh, independent networks in Texas. Uh, A lot of great independent podcasters. Uh, Give us a try. Give us a check out. If you want to find out some more stuff for Bois, you can check us out on Linktree, L-I-N-K, tr.ee slash b-w-a-a-a-k-o-t-h and mason i know you have something to plug here so go ahead and plug your show buddy oh yeah uh it's bibliophobia uh i talk about books and stuff uh mostly short stories in uh some books so far it's having a lot of fun uh allison and a friend of mine angel have been on a lot of episodes and uh I'm recording one with you and Mike, hopefully in a couple of days. Uh, yep, absolutely. Yeah. So be on the lookout for that. We'll uh, we'll definitely shout that out whenever uh, we get it. So you guys will be able to go listen to me and Mike discuss 310 to Yuma with uh, Mason here on his podcast, Bibliophobia. Yeah, it's exciting. All right. So uh, uh, you want to give us a Wimitanya out? Wimitanya. Wimitanya. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.